Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. As we continue our 167 series studying Romans 12, we're taking a closer look at verses 14 through 16 and thinking about how we can lean in. So this morning, uh, we're going to dive back into uh, our series uh, 167. We've been hanging out in the book of Romans over the course of the last several weeks. This is week five in our series. And, And as we've been doing this, it's our understanding that God has given each one of us Me, all y'all, has given you 168 hours every single week. Not 170 like some of us want to pack in, and not 150 if we're feeling tired and lethargic. 168. And, And you have 167 hours with which to do whatever it is that you choose to do outside of the hour that you're here. And we believe that uh, the book of Romans is a particularly good way of looking at our lives and understanding, well, how should I spend these other 167 hours? So that's what we've been doing. And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. I mean, he wrote a lot of letters. He, he wrote a good share of the New Testament, and he wrote to, to churches that he had planted in places like Corinth and Galatia and, and Thessalonica, and, and these things were all part of Paul's teaching. He, he often would uh, be writing to the church and, and addressing issues that, that the people of the day were dealing with. He, he would also uh, write to address behaviors and, and rumors that he was hearing in, in the churches that he planted. So Paul was teaching, and then he would write letters to instruct them how it is that he would have them live their lives based on what he understood of Jesus and Jesus' call to our lives. And and then he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. Now, he didn't start this church, but he had authority, and, and so he spoke into what was going on there. And this wasn't so much about um, issues and, and behavior modification things that, that he was seeing, but Paul was writing about theology and doctrine. He was teaching them the way that, that God would have them live. And so he did this through the first 11 uh, letter, uh, chapters of Romans 12. And, and then this happened. He, he, got, uh, he got going, and, and he makes the turn um, where, where theology and doctrine become practical. Where it's like, this is how I understand the truth of the gospel and all that God wants me to understand. And, and then it gets um, in our face. And, and here's how we actually live it out. So um, last week, uh, we spent time uh, in verses 9 through 13. And, and the invitation for the week was to simply work the steps. So uh, the, the invitation and the challenge was to take what you had heard and to work the steps. Now, I use an example and, uh, where we don't want to waste a lot of time and energy um, through the course of our week. So, like, do you put on your shoes and your socks in order? Do you go put on your socks and then put on your shoes? Or do you go sock, shoe, sock, shoe, because your foot's there? And we don't want to waste any additional time. And, and what happened for me at nap time is my phone started blowing up. 
because apparently I, I got a little too close and, and some of my farmer friends said, no, I can't do that. I'm going to end up in divorce court if I put my sock on and in my shoe in town. So I hope that today might not be quite as, uh, what's the word, um, con- controversial. Yeah, it's controversial, right? Um, just because I think that sock and then shoe is right doesn't mean it actually is. But, but we don't want to waste our time and energy on things that aren't of use. We want to be able to work the steps so that we live this life of faith that we've been called to live. Because it's really challenging. If you've been with us and if you've been hanging out and reading Romans chapter 12, what Paul's inviting you to is not simple. It takes a lot of intentionality. And, and as I talked about this idea of working the steps last week, I said we need to go back to verse 9. And so if, if I can't love, if I can't love, if I can't love, I, I, I can't move forward. So go back to the beginning and work the steps. And as I've thought more about this, what, what I've understood and what, what is really clear in my mind this week is like we have to go all the way back to verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. So that's what we're going to do today. If you have a Bible or your preferred electronic device in which you read scripture, I'd invite you to throw that open and go to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 1. And then we're going to move on. And we're really going to fixate in uh, verses 14 and 16. But for the moment, we need to go all the way through this again. So, would you pray with me as we turn to the word of the Lord? Father, would your word be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, our single concern. Amen. So friends, Romans 12, beginning at the first verse, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer all of who you are, to offer everything you have, heart and soul and mind, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Now, Paul didn't command this. He didn't demand it. But he urged them to give all of themselves to God, to give everything they had, and to give all of it to God and to one another because of the grace and mercy that God had extended to them. And and then he continues, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The the kingdom of God is one thing, friends, and and the kingdom of man is an entirely other thing. And, And Paul knew the gospel of the kingdom. He knew the gospel that Jesus preached, and he knew full well that the powers and principalities of this dark and present world were were at work, and so he was transformed through the renewing of his mind, and and Paul is inviting us to the same kind of transformational experience, and he says, "When, when this happens, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, for for by the grace given me... Paul writes, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Like Paul is telling the church to think of themselves rightly, to take a a good honest assessment and, and look at themselves 
And, and then to assess their gifts and to understand that their gifts came from God and that, that God has given each other person in, who lives on the face of the planet gifts as well. For, for just as, I, as each of us has one body with many members, verse 4, and, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Every single one of you has gifts, skills, and talents, and passions. And God desires that you use those gifts and skills and talents and passions for his glory and our good. And if, you, if your gift is prophesying, he says, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God has given us each gifts to be used every hour of the week for God's glory and for our good. And then Paul continues, and he says, love must be sincere, or said another way, don't fake it. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, or, or practice playing second fiddle. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, or cheerfully expectant. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality or be inventive. Be creative in hospitality. These are the things that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Powerful and challenging words, right? This is our invitation and challenge. Our invitation and challenge are to work the steps. To, to love from the center of who you are. By not faking it. By practicing playing second fiddle. By doing these things. By being cheerfully expectant and inventive in hospitality. And it's incredibly challenging, is it not? I mean, which is why we need these first two things. The first thing we need to understand is that to be clear about who's our center. What is your center? And the second thing we need to understand is this. What, what does it mean to love? And that's why we went all the way back to the beginning of Romans chapter 12. Because it doesn't suffice to simply say, we'll just go back to, step, to verse 9. Uh, love, love, love. There's more to it than that. Understanding who our center is, is everything. Have you been transformed? And what is God's good and pleasing and perfect will for you? Do you understand what these things are? Does my life align with Verse 9, can I love from the center of who I am? Can I love from that center? See, Paul says from the center of who you are, love, and don't fake it. He wrote an entire section of a, of a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth about this idea of love. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. This will be on the screen for you. 
He writes, if, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, do, but do not have love, I gain Nothing, And then he explains what love looks like. I mean, this, these things are, I am <laughs> I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, I am nothing. I gain nothing without love. And, and love is patient and kind. It, it is not envious or boastful or arrogant. He, he says, keep love keeps no record of wrongs. Love bears all things, be, believes all things hopes all things how are we doing with love now john the disciple whom jesus loved also wrote a letter and in his letter he said a lot of things about love too he said let us love one another because love is from god everyone who loves is born of god and knows god Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And since, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another, John writes. And, and I say these words, and if you're like me, then you have this overwhelming sense of, wait, what? I mean, yeah, God is love. I get that, but if, if, if I struggle, and, and sometimes I'm going to struggle, it's super hard to love. Have you ever had this? Is it hard to love? I mean, I don't want those words to be in there, but they're in there, so we need to pay attention. Because I think it gets in the way, and that takes me back to verse 14 from Romans 12. Because this is where it's even more challenging than verses 9 through 13 are. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. <laughs> and I don't know, but I read these words and I don't know if I want to laugh or if I want to cry if I'm honest with you. Because it's incredibly challenging, right? I mean, I'm not even sure I can remember what the steps are anymore when, when I read that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. <sighs> challenging. Throw that back up there, will you, Jan? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you read those words? Okay, sure, that's easy, God, I'll do that. Or, or is it more like, yeah, right, I, I can't do that, so I don't even want to start. And, and look at yourself with sober judgment as you sit with those words. 
Because this is what I'm present to this morning. Like, God has granted me mercy and, and grace upon grace. And, and my life has been transformed. I am not who I was. The old is gone, and the new creation has come. And, and I'm still a sinner who stands in the need of grace of God every single day. And what I want to hold up for you is the same is true for you. The same is true for you, friends. And so when someone attacks us or demeans us or persecutes us, as if we really even understand what persecution means in our culture, the only way to bless and not curse is to remember and to realize this, that sin is the problem. And Jesus Christ is the solution. Sin is the problem, and Jesus is the solution. God has to do something really powerful in my life to stop me in my tracks. And for God to do something good for the person, for me to ask that God would do something good for the person who has demeaned me or persecuted or attacked me, this is what it is to bless. God is the one who's going to have to do that. And for so much of my life, I didn't understand that this could actually be stopped. I would just do the thing I did when, when I would get demeaned or persecuted or attacked. I would, I would just react. And, and bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I would not ask for God to do something kind and, and good for those people. And, and then this little device came to me. I, I, was, I had a sabbatical a couple of summers ago. And during that sabbatical, I did a bunch of reading, and I really tried to like recenter my life in, in who God says I was. And, and this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Stop me in my tracks. And, and so when I feel it coming, and, and, and I can't bless those who persecute me, the prayer comes, it just rolls, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because this is Paul's charge to us, is, is to bless and not curse. And when I realize that my sin is the problem and that Jesus is the solution, it's a little bit easier to not be stuck and stopped in all of my old patterns of behavior. And I imagine that it could work for you too. The invitation this week is for me to try that on a little bit. I mean, we can actually bless and not curse. We can uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. When, when, um, when something good happens in the life of a somebody else around you, it's okay to be happy for them. It shows growth and transformation in your life. We don't have to be stuck in these old patterns. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. A sinner, help me to do these things. Allow me to bless and not curse. And so Paul says this again in, in 1 Corinthians 13, again about um, when he's writing about love. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, that is to say, like when I become a little more spiritually mature, I put the ways of childhood behind me. It's the evidence of growth and transformation in our lives when we monitor our reactivity and we engage with people in ways that are less childish both our friends and our enemies we can deal with people in ways that are loving and caring and to love from the center of who i am requires that my adult self shows up 
not my six-year-old self where so much of my life I was stuck and stopped. I have to show up as the adult version of myself. And honestly, there's, there's so much that I could say here. We could be here until three o'clock, but have you ever acted childishly? Has this happened for you? Have you ever had a customer come in and just berate you and, and let you have it and then you regret it in a way? You reacted and regretted how you behaved with them? Or, or how about sitting in a class or in a meeting and, and somebody's going after you and, and you either think you're dumb or you don't respond in the, in the way and, and, that you should and, and then you have regret and remorse. How about on the playground? Have you been bullied and then you didn't react or respond the way you would hope to. What happens when this takes place in your life? How has this impacted you? I mean, when I forget about who the center of my being is, my propensity is to snap. And I bet most of you do too. We demonize, we villainize, we make somebody else out to be the problem, when in fact, the problem is more mine. Now, I said I, I could give you a million examples of this, but one in particular comes to mind when I was sitting in a meeting with a group of leaders, and, and we had made an agreement. We were going to go through a process, and we were going to answer some questions honestly about our organization and how we functioned, and then the time came when we had done that, and we got the feedback from the consultant, and he laid it on the table before us, and this particular individual, who is just hard for me to love, um, said, no, we're not doing that. We're just out. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. What about everything we agreed to? And, and in the moment, I felt dumb. I couldn't respond. And so I like stuffed it down <laughs> until I didn't. And, and then I spent the rest of my day driving to, to where he lived and to have a conversation. And, and I wasn't able to think about things like what it means to harmonize or to honor or have humility. I just was unhinged because I was busy defending myself and, and, and trying to get him to understand my perspective as if mine is the only one. And I wonder if you've ever had any experience that's similar. I, at the time, I didn't have it. Lord Jesus Christ, have, have mercy on me, a sinner. It, it wasn't alive in me. And so when I'm reactive, when, when I do the things I do, when I do the things I do, I'm not able to harmonize. I'm, I'm not able to um, honor other people. And nor am I able to flex or exercise my humility muscle because I can't access empathy. I want to talk about that just a little bit, this idea of empathy versus sympathy. Empathy is about compassion. In understanding the feelings of somebody else, sympathy is more about feeling pity and sorry for someone else's lot in life, for their misfortune. And, and when I feel empathy, I am less judgmental. And I'm able to understand how somebody else feels. It, it enables me to get into their shoes and, and to be with them, which is different than sympathy, which is relief in not having their same problems. So when I empathize, it's hard to say today, when I, when I empathize, it's like, mm. 
there, the connection exists and, and we engage in ways that are far more God-honoring, the way in which Paul would invite us to engage. I mean, we might see our persecutors as fellow sinners who are, who are in the same spot as we are, who are dealing with some of the same issues and some of the same pain that we are. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? You, you would think that Paul wrote this letter last week. <laughs> but, but Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago to a, to, a, to a place that feels a lot like this. There must have been some polarization existing in the culture. We don't often ask God but, uh, to, how to do this, but can we think differently? And can we bless those who think differently than we do? We don't all have to be the same. I, want, I really want you to see this. Paul asks us to live in harmony with one another. He doesn't say live in unison with one another. Do you see the difference? Do you, do you know what I'm getting at here? It's as if he understands that we were all created in the image of God. Every single one of you is created in the image of God. And we have different thoughts. We have different feelings. We have different emotions. We have different understandings of the way in which the world works. Think about it musically for just a second. When, when different notes are played together, and when, when Ray sings a particular note, and Aaron sings another one that's a couple notes higher, and, and um, Austin sings a couple lower, there's harmony, and it, it's really beautiful, right? I mean, the, something beautiful happens when, when we are in harmony with one another, because here's the thing, we, we have different gifts, we have different abilities, we have different experiences, and... We all are on a journey. So we don't have to be exactly the same. We don't have to be in unison. We don't have to be um, in, in the same range. We can be different. We don't even have to agree on everything. Isn't that amazing? We can harmonize. What would it look like if we were to harmonize? I mean, Paul's charge to us is to form pleasing relationships where we allow others to be themselves, to express themselves in ways that are theirs, where we allow them to have their own opinions, where, where they get to use their own gifts, and where they get to be themselves, to be all that God created them to be. And when, when we harmonize, as one of my friends says, it makes the world richer, it gives us a, a bigger picture of who our creator is. So what if we were to harmonize? And, and when, them, when we harmonize, we honor people, particularly people who are of low position. I, I don't really even like those words, people who are of low position. But it's like Paul had to use them. And, and we all have a sense of what Paul is trying to say when, when we read these words, people of low position, because probably at some point in your life, there was somebody that you looked down your nose at who wasn't exactly who you think and who you thought they were supposed to be. Somehow we think we're, we're better than other people. That's not what Paul is asking of us. And so when we pursue harmony and, and when we seek to honor people, we, we, we get to seek to understand what it is that is going on in their lives. And we get to engage in, in some ways that really honors God. And, and when we're willing to hang out with people that we don't normally hang out with, or at the very least, to have a conversation with somebody that we've never had a conversation with before, we show affection, we show appreciation, we show them honor. And I think the Lord delights 
in these things. And, and finally, I want to say this. Don't be conceited, the text tells us. Don't be conceited. Live with humility. Now, Paul's been stringing a thread through this entire chapter with this idea, pointing us back to verse 3 where it said to look at yourselves with sober judgment or, or with right thinking. Think rightly about yourselves. And when we exercise humility, we, we look at ourselves rightly and we're able to understand and, and eliminate all of the feelings that get in our way of this. So whereas God gave Moses the law to give to us, that because and we look at the law and we go, oh, no, I can't keep that. Um, we need to understand that, that God gave Moses the law because this is the best way to live. In, in the same way, I think God gave Paul these words. God gave Paul this Romans chapter 12 as, as the best way for us to live. And, and if we're going to live the 167 hours out, that we spend outside of this place, it's through these ideas, harmonize, honor, and humility. Harmonize, honor, humility. Friends, if, if you are in Christ, the old is gone. The, the new has come. You, you've been made alive. You are holy. You are blameless. So love from the center of who you are. And, and when the struggle is real, because it will be real this week, it might be real later today, don't beat yourself up. It's okay. It's possible to gain control of us when we just remember that simply, Lord Jesus Christ, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? And it, it will redirect you back into the place where you can be. Because sin is the problem. And Jesus Christ alone is the solution. So when you can't bless those who curse you, when, when you don't feel like rejoicing with those who rejoice, when you aren't able to mourn with those who mourn, harmonize, honor, humility. This is the way, friends. Let's live these 167 hours this way. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.